Hey everyone, Gomer here, and I just want to introduce this show. We got two guests on today, Matt Meeks of Catholic Ventures and Anthony D'Ambrosio, who is the head of product at Catholic.store and the founder of Catholic Creatives and the principal of Sherwood Fellows that I've worked with. Now, we all know Anthony. Anthony is awesome. He helped found Catholic Creatives and helped build it to what it was. Matt Meeks came in and was able to keep the vision alive as Catholic Ventures acquired Catholic creatives, and they believe in the movement. Now, if you know anything about our show, if you've been fans for a long time, you will know that we are big fans of Catholic creatives. In fact, Luke had some mystical experience when he went to the when he attended the first Catholic Creative Summit. So uh, I think you'll enjoy this show. And then pretty soon, just in time for Christmas, I think next week, if you're listening to this, today's November 13th, I think by next week they will have our own location on Catholic.store of a Catching Foxes store. It's going to be awesome. So I will include that link in the show notes as soon as it becomes available. So pour yourself a glass of wine, kick back, put up your feet, and enjoy this sweet, sweet show. Luke hates it when I go through all of the, uh, all the stuff, all the, uh, all the like technical stuff. Like, no, it has to sound good or people are going to go insane. And he's like, shut up and just push record. I feel like the one that I did with you, like many years ago, many moons ago, was just Zoom, like just recorded from Zoom. It was just Skype. It was just Skype. Yeah, we used so Skype. Skype. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, you were like on a laptop at like a buddy's house, right? And you right. were like yeah. roaming yeah. the Wi-Fi hinterland. Yeah. You have a good memory, man. Yeah. Well, it was a good show. That was, yeah, that was when Catholic Creatives was, was uh, an infant. It was, it was new. It was just kind of getting going. Full of promise. And then Luke went to the first summit and he came back and he was like, I've been healed. I've been healed. (laughs) It was so healing. And I was like, good Lord, Luke. Okay. What was so healing about it? And he was like, you know, that thing where. You're like in the Catholic Church, and you're surrounded by the things you you you're, you hold to the things that are most important to you, but you're surrounded by people you can't stand. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And he's like, imagine being in a room of people who know exactly what it's like to be in that other room all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, what? A bunch of snobs? And he's like, no. It's like you're always around non-creative people, people who don't get like. Hey, this sucks, and we should do something about it. And they're like, that's fine, you, you little rapscallion. And uh, he was like, I was just around people who thought, yeah, we can do this a lot better. And, and I'm uncomfortable with how crappy it's been. you know. And I was like, oh, okay. And he's like, it was healing. It was healing. <laughs> Such a funny boy. Yeah. Yeah. It was funny listening. It was funny listening to uh, y'all's episode after that because, like, he was still so he was like floating on the community high, yeah. And you were kind of like trying to pull him down to earth. You were like, <laughs> still the grouchy old kind of Gomer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, nothing's gonna change. <laughs> it's funny yeah. because um, you know at my parish, right? We have thirty-five plus employees. So we're a mega parish, right? Wow. Mm-hmm. And we have a guy who is the manager of uh, – what is his title? Creative content. We have a woman whose uh, half of her job responsibilities are the creation of um, high-quality print publications, right? So she focuses on the print and the more digital stuff. And um, you know, we have a communications department, web, social media, um, the whole deal. And I can tell you 
that having that at a church and making that a priority and having a department and not just the lone young adult who's tasked with all that is a game changer for the parish. I mean, it truly, truly is. So if you look at our website for our YouTube videos, we have uh, fun, creative stuff. We have uh, hilarious videos. We have hour-long lectures. We got the whole thing. And now we have people have access. How awesome is that? I said, how awesome is that? Could you hear me over your phone ringing? (laughs) You mute these things, but then they don't mute. You got to go up to the little do not disturb and set it for an hour. Yeah, and, and 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 the um, you know, one day we did this test. Um, you, are you aware of the disc profile? You remember those? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So uh, it's like dominant ideation or something like that, stability and conscientiousness. And we did this for our whole staff, <laughs> and wouldn't you know it? Like ninety percent of the staff were uh, conscientious and stability. Right, so stability means they they're they're the rocks of the church, but they also don't like change. And the conscientious people are the I daughters and the T crossers, and they live in the world of Excel. And uh, there were two people who were the uh, idea innovative. That's what it is, innovative. There were two people on the staff, and guess what? They were both in youth ministry, right? And so you have this. That was the old way, and it's like they crave above all stability and a lack of change. And then it's like that's why you hate everyone right now. <laughs> it was good fun. Good fun. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people attracted to the church because it's like, oh, I love Catholicism because it's been around since forever and it doesn't change. And so then they go work at parishes and then they get really scared. Yeah. You know, whenever you try to do new things. Yep. So, yeah. You, you know what's funny about all this? And then we'll get into the show because why not? This is a show, by the way. Uh, yeah. The I'm on fun- Do Not Disturb now, too. So, so there will be no, there will be no other people joining this show. <laughs> through, through <my> phone. <laughs> no, it's funny that. Um, so, in my communications through the podcast, um, every knee shall bow. We get a lot of DREs, a lot of um, parochial vicars, people who are near enough to the bureaucratic structures of the Catholic Church that they can't change it, but it irritates them to no end. And I have found in all the people, all the individual parishioners and, and, and parish staff members that complain about the church today, right? That have honest, rock-solid complaints about what's going on. It's not it, – it is almost never. Sometimes it is. But it is almost never about the church's sacramental teaching, moral teaching, blah, blah, blah. It's interacting with the non-essential bureaucracies and policies that have kind of cropped up over – over time, and so it's not that um, they reject the church's teaching on infant baptism; it's that they're trying to get their damn kid baptized, and people are like, "Well, you got to jump through this non-essential hoop that I created last year," you know. And it's just like on and on, and so it's like the church can people can love Catholicism because it's unchanging for two thousand years, but they didn't realize that people were still operating as if it were the technology of the nineteen fifties. That's a totally different thing than her doctrines of the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? Like, yeah. Exactly. Oh, it's exactly. a train wreck. It's yeah. a train wreck. Yeah, I always think of like operate the operational church and then like the spiritual church. And it's the frustrations are with the operational church, not yep. with like, yep. you know, and the spirit and the body are one. But sometimes it feels like, you know, there's a real disconnect there. Why, girl, you crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so, Anthony, how you doing? You breathing easy? Your, your life less stressful? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) 
So what's the what, big changes for Catholic creative? So for those who don't follow, you're now are, are, are owned partner. Yeah. What, what's the phrase owned? Yeah. You okay. say owned. owned by Catholic ventures. So how did that come about? Man, uh, where do we start? Well, um, the pandemic is the starting point, that dark age. Yeah. Um, we were, Catholic Creatives was just sort of getting past its infancy and was trying to figure out how to kind of stabilize. Um, and we had a lot of different events, regional events, as well as a summit that were all, uh, we were all selling sponsorships and that was the way we were kind of like funding it. Um, and as those of you guys know who have uh, done events a lot, youth ministers, uh, looking at you, uh, mm-hmm. you guys know how, um, intense and stressful it is to just like fill your life up with planning events. Um, so anyway, we, uh, we had all that planned and then the pandemic hit and all of our, uh, cash evaporated and, um, we still had to somehow kind of digitally fulfill all of that. So it was like kind of a crisis for us. Um, as, and for me, I was perhaps going through a bit of a personal crisis, um, with burnout from uh, just the the stress of trying to fundraise and kind of manage it, um, as well as, uh, you know, some other personal things that were going on in my life. So uh, as the pandemic was going on and a lot of this stuff was kind of crashing down, I I got in my car and just started driving. um, And I called, I didn't know where I was going yet. I, I just... It's like I need human interaction somewhere. And, and Anthony, state state your starting point. I was in Dallas. I was in Dallas, just at my house, um, and I'm 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 I, I literally didn't even pack a bag. I like got in my car and just started driving. And I called Matt up, and I was like, "Hey, Matt, um, I'm like gonna die if I have to keep running Catholic Creatives." <laughs> and uh, and uh, yeah, honestly, I just kind of cried on the phone with him for a little bit, and then he was like, "Hey, I'm starting this thing," um, and there's a lot of potential synergy. Like maybe we could talk about like me helping you out and, um, taking on, uh, some of the responsibility. And so, um, why don't you come up here and we'll talk about it. And so I drove 11 hours to, uh, Denver (laughs) (laughs) and stayed at his house, uh, you know, and, uh, and we had some conversations, but I'll let, I'll let Matt kind of give his perspective on that. Yeah, no, I mean, I don't know. Working in the church is hard, you know, it's, uh, it's, what? Uh, no, it's a dream where your faith and your work become one, and yeah. then you get emails from angry parents. It's fine. Everything's fine. Yeah. 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 I I constantly feel like a pansy when I reflect on the scripture. My yoke <laughs> is easy and my burden is light because the burden for me often feels not light. And and I'm like, maybe I'm just soft, you know, like Jesus is real hard and I'm I'm pretty soft. So So I just keep like... I just keep like working at it and being like, it's going to be light, you know, it's going to be light. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's like yeah. Jesus is just this CrossFitter, you know, with like yeah, the he's, oh, he's a machine. So like, Jesus is Jesus is, light, bro. Yeah. It's a machine. <laughs> My favorite uh, 90s era Christian t-shirt was a very diesel ripped Jesus doing pushups with a cross on his back. And it said, <laughs> his pains, our gains. <laughs> I love it. Hashtag fear not instead of no fear. Remember it. no fear. Shirts? We should bring that T-shirt back. We should I bring think that so. Back. That's good. I think so. I think I'm going to start doing push-ups with a cross on my back. <laughs> the yes. old rugged cross. Oh yeah. So yeah. So anyway, I just was sympathetic to what Anthony was carrying because I, at various times in my life, had to carry that, and particularly with like 
that intersection of like dreams and calling and faith and and suffering and like all the things that go into that so i didn't really know like i had no agenda it was just anthony what i did know is i believe catholic creatives is a work of the holy spirit and it's meant to survive and so what i didn't want to see happen was anthony just walk away and everything fall apart so you know so i just wanted him to come out and hang out for a while have a little respite maybe he and i could put our heads together you know that was kind of the the beginning of it so you're at Catholic Ventures, and, and you want your, your kind of dream, your goal, is to fund the people who are doing the kick-ass ministry of the church, right? Yeah, right. it's. I think that the goal is, is bigger. Funding is, is an aspect. There's a mechanism that is that, and we hope to get to a point where we have significantly more funding to be able to do that a lot more. Um, the ultimate goal is I think that we've fallen into this mindset where like, I guess it'd be like the secularization of the, ch- the, the over-secularization of the world and the lack of the church's ability to be a good leaven in that world, you know, for various causes. But whatever's happening, we're not doing a great job of it. We're not pacing well with society right now. Um, has led us to over-secular, like let over-secularize the church in order to run alongside the world, which might bear fruit in the end, you know, it might, it might be the right path. I don't know. But what's happened is some of the, the tendrils of secular thinking have gotten into the mindset of the church, uh, particularly, you know, business competition, you know, you have all these apostolates that don't work with each other. They like get up on stage and shake hands, but when it boils down to it, you know, you sit in the board meetings and, how do I crush the other guy? And, um, and, 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 and so I just saw too much of that. I saw it between, I saw it within the, the, the structural church from parish to parish. I saw it within the app, you know, the apostolates. I saw it, I, I saw too much and it broke my heart yeah. because I think the mindset of the church is more family. You know, it's like, I mean, it's okay to compete, but know that you're competing against your brother, you know? And so, so what does that look like and how do you work together? And so me and, and the founders of Catholic Ventures, I've got a, a few other partners. We, we started really thinking, like, how do we solve this? How do we create platforms that lift up the church, that bring people together, that allow us to shine in our own right, but also centralize us so that we can, you know, be together, show the unity of the church? You know, we think the, 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 the John 17 is like the closest thing we have to, to Jesus's heart. You dive into that when he's praying for the unity of the church down the line right before he dies. And it's like, this is his conversation with the Father. So that's that's something we care about. Mm-hmm. So, so the real idea of Catholic Ventures was how can we use technology? How can we use the skills that we have? How can we, how can we use the relationships that we have? How can we use, you know, capital, like what financing or whatever we have access to, to build unity within the church? The first attempt at that was Catholic.store. So we built an app that syncs all these Catholic vendors together in one place, yeah. you know, um, so that rising tide lifts all ships. Somebody comes in shopping for sock religious socks, and then they learn about My Saint, My Hero, or they learn about Liz Zelasco's icons, you know, and you come in and you learn about all these great Catholics doing good things, and everybody wins. So that was our first big initiative. You know, Catholic creative seemed like a real natural fit to that. Um, and we've just been going from there. It's been really good. It's funny when you go on Catholic uh, Catholic dot store and you see uh, apparel, art, Bibles, greeting cards, <laughs> greeting cards, scapulars, 
socks. <laughs> I'm, even though I own many a pair of, of the socks, I always well, think it's funny. Well, yeah, right now we've got the great the great Christmas sock sale going, you know? So oh, we gotta, we gotta I'm going to check that out. Socks. Okay. Yeah, yeah. My family is all about uh, Christmas clothing, <laughs> which I am not. Christmas jammies. And so last year I acquiesced because it was going to be Star Wars themed and it was uh, Baby Yoda Grogu Christmas. So we all got them. We take one photo. The kids love it. And I'm like, good, I got to do this thing. But I'm down for socks. Yeah. <laughs> I can do the Christmas socks. These are cool. I like them. That's Three great. wise men. Yes, please. I'll take it. <laughs> nice. It's just so funny. It's like, here's a book written by a skilled artist and author that paints it. You know, you shine a light behind it. And here's all these beautiful things for your kids. And it socks. <laughs> but the socks are so good. My kids all have them. They all love it. It's become a whole category of religious like, <laughs> yeah. paraphernalia. You know? yeah, maybe like, it'll be a relic. From now, 100 years from now, it'll be like holy medals, rosaries, holy cards, holy socks. Yeah, yeah holy <laughs> and because i don't clip my toenails at a regular rate all my socks have holes in them so it's a win-win situation <laughs> that was gross i apologize no oh, I've, been, nice. I've been rocking no socks for a while unfortunately because we moved and and i just socks disappear i don't know where they go but i can't find all my socks hmm. and somehow i just end so you up... just abandon them altogether it's a pain i think you yeah. need a better moving strategy i think you need labels i think you need a label maker i think uh, I, I think you need a buddy things. to help you <laughs> like, i need all <laughs> these things i had none of that i had none of that <laughs> that is so funny well i'm i'm happy to hear so catholic ventures uh bought catholic creatives to keep it alive because i mean anthony you were doing sherwood fellows right you're rocking that doing that my church uh and you guys we work together. You, you're doing all of these things. People don't, I don't think people appreciate, like, uh, some people do. I, my Patreon supporters do because I bitch and moan to them all the time. But, like, <laughs> when we don't have an episode of Catching Foxes that comes out, um, it, it, like, I get just this wave of complaints. And I'm like, it's, it's like three hours to set up an interview sometimes because you're going back and forth, sometimes for months with certain people. You, you set the dang thing up. Half the time, something horrible happens <laughs> when you're trying to do it. But okay, you get it. You get it recorded. Sometimes the show is an hour. Sometimes it's two and a half hours. I've been on a three-hour show that there was only like 45 minutes worth of content. You do all of this stuff, right? And that's fine because some people aren't used to talking into microphones and acting like idiots, right? So uh, some people aren't as narcissistic as I am. Uh, <laughs> and so you have all these things, but then the editing and then the creation of show art and all this. And it just is so funny. You can see that when I'm at the end of my rope, when there's almost no show notes, and when the album artwork is just the orange Catching Foxes logo, <laughs> I'm just like, screw this. It's already midnight. <laughs> I've been doing this. I haven't seen my family. Like, so the stuff lives. It's I, I call uh, expectational debt. It's just right. all the emails that you haven't replied to yet <laughs> and all the things, and they just live in your psyche. And then yeah, you sit down oh and you're God. like, here we go. That's burnout. Yeah. I'm in, I'm in debt. Yeah, I know. That's exact. That's such a good, that's such a good exam, uh, like insight into what it felt like. Um, just that as Catholic creative was, growing, um, everything we were doing was free and it was like, <laughs> like this massive growing as it grew, there was always more like expectational debt, uh, yeah. 
you know, and so we had worked ourselves into that and we were trying to find a way to make it sustainable. But uh, every time I went to like pitch an investor or something about it, they were like, oh, I can't help you. But, you know, I've got a kid that's like a creative, like, let me give you his number. It'd be really good. I felt like I was like this shit being like, we need food. And everybody was like, here's more babies, you know. Um, (laughs) I literally started. uh, This is not even a joke. I literally started having dreams, like a recurring dream where I would like open a door uh, to like a bathroom or something and find like a, an infant that needed to be taken care of and like Good just Lord. all of a sudden be like alone in, in like parenting all these like orphans. Yeah. <laughs> I've never breastfed before, but uh, here goes nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh man, that is intense. That is intense. And but, yeah, and, and there's so much. And then the, I, I also think that there is a, there is a difficult bridge to build for people who love what they do and connecting it to asking for money, right? There is a disc because you know, like when you ask for money, only a certain percentage of the people who enjoy your work are going to be able to contribute. Right. And that, and then, so you're like, I'm risking pushing people away. What if, and then you devalue your art, you devalue your creative work. And so you're always like, and I've been a a, a Catholic speaker. I travel all over the country. I'm international because I've been to Canada twice. And that counts. Uh, So like, I, I, I do this all the time and I constantly undercut myself because one, it's a ministry. It's a ministry that's – and Luke always reminds me. Yeah, it's a ministry that's necessary that not everyone can do, so don't devalue it. But I'm like, yeah, but I'm scared, right? So you, you, you cut the price, you lower it, and then all of a sudden you look back and you're like, I've given days of my life to prepare for this event, this thing that I'm doing, you know, of the studying and the expectational debt and all the thinking about it and dwelling about it and booking pl- tickets and stuff. And then you realize, like, oh, I'm, I'm literally working for minimum wage when I add up these hours. This is not enough, <laughs> yeah. right? And we don't – it's just hard for people who do ministry for a living to make that money ask, right? And, you know, selling something like a Halo app, it, there's like, well, here's a product, right? But then it's like, yeah, but we want to connect people to the creative world and do all these things. And it's like, meh. Just give me the blog post, sir, and go on your way. And you're like, it's killing me to do these blog posts. <laughs> so now you're feeling good. You're feeling good. There's more stability with the Catholic creatives. Yeah, well, I mean, Matt can speak more to it. But basically what happened after that was um, after it was a year, basically, of transition where we were getting admins on board. Matt was kind of coming in. Um, we were talking about, like, what it would look like. But eventually um, Catholic Ventures took on like basically bought the ip of catholic creatives and in a way like the debt of it and um was began paying for the the you know upkeep of the social media and all of that stuff um but of course it's it's i think also in the stepping away from me it took a long time for some of the i guess the the other pieces, people who are administrative, like admins or um, whatever, for those things to kind of come together and become uh, like it's yeah to to fill that gap, if you will. Um, and so that's what the last couple of years of um, of work have been really um, has been like like a quiet. Maybe you could call it sort of like a desert season um, or a wilderness season where. Uh, people have just been like stepping in and taking little pieces and slow growth has been happening, but from the outside, it might not look like there's a lot going on. 
Yeah, I think I think it's it's been interesting. I mean, you have with any organization, you have. I think Anthony had Anthony and his brother had a calling from God to get this thing going, and so you have this founder that has something on their heart, and they're they're called to it. There's like a grace given to them to make this happen, and then and then so much of what the organization becomes is a reflection of the heart of those founders. Um, and so then we had to enter into a period where like Anthony's taking a step back. How do the admins, how do the different people involved with this, the different volunteers, like what do they want Catholic creatives to be, you know, kind of wrestling that out, talking about it, coming to consensus. Um, so we've been in a bit of a, um, like every, it's funny, like we've had the same admin group for two years and usually they cycle out on a yearly basis. Um, but we've had the same volunteers that that have kind of just been contributing their thoughts, contributing their ideas to like wh- what what is Catholic creatives at its heart? What is like what is the heart of Catholic creatives, the movement? What is the heart of Catholic creatives? Um and then, and we, so we've been in somewhat of like a purgative stage, I guess, like de- Anthony calls it like a desert season, you know, and on the flip side, like our social channels are growing, like the Facebook page is seeing a lot of growth. Like, so a lot of people are coming in, but internally we're going through this process of like figuring out what God's asking of Catholic creatives. Yeah. And what's then, the um, thing? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then I think what's really good is it's cool. Like I, I'm not, this is still a, what it, like, this is still like a, you know, it's it's all in motion, but we're trying to. We've been having conversations with Tim Glumkowski and the the Eucharistic revival and the Congress that's happening, and he's he's just such a phenomenal guy. And um, there's, I think, a big desire from them to have um, kind of these creative missionaries that bring forth a love for the the Eucharist through their their creative skills. And so, um, so we're entering into this like new calling of Catholic creatives and we're thinking about having a summit in Indianapolis, you know, like at the actual Congress, like figuring out how we can align with that energy, having deep conversations with the revival. So there's a lot of good things happening where it's like God's starting to bring this, like the seeds are starting to grow of the last couple of years. Um, but that's been, I mean, that's been the process. It's, right, it's I'm going to make good. a recommendation. You ready for this? Yeah, go for it. Okay, here we go. Buckle up. You host, AltCon, and you have an alternative conference right next door. Rent out the and then you just you just rock it with. That's as far as I got. I just got yeah. the title. I was thinking like Creative Con. Con. It's like Comic Con, but like you know, all the it's like the nerd conference next to the actual Congress. You yeah. also up yeah. wearing outfits and stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you have to come and cosplay, right? Exactly. Like it's full on. Like dress as your favorite saint, or uh, you know. Catholic During hero. the last summit, the um, the Saturday night banquet was like a themed banquet. I think it was called Heavenly Spheres. That was all the inspiration we gave, but mm. expected people like there was a costume contest and stuff, <laughs> and it got it got out there, man. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Luke came in costume, but pretty much everybody else did, and there was some definitely some uh, pseudo cosplay kind of things going on. That at is that so party. funny. <laughs> I'm Iron Man. What does that have anything? <laughs> Shut up! I'm Iron Man. <laughs> oh man, that's cool. Yeah, see, the, the the Eucharistic revival is fascinating to me as a, a church worker. As a, you know, I'm the director of evangelization at my parish, which means I oversaw I oversee all catechesis and um, sacramental formation. Basically, everything from womb to tomb. The moment you die and you're at your funeral, that's 
that's in someone else's hands. But uh, leading up to that, it's all me. And what I realize across the board is um, even in good, strong churches, there is an absolute poverty of communicating the Catholic faith. And the Catholic faith is a tradition. It's a thing you enter into. It's a way of life. And we say that, but I think oftentimes our catechesis becomes nothing more than the teaching of individual points, right? Like, let me clear, let me get the books that best explain the, in orthodoxy and, and, and dynamism that best explain um, this doctrine, the Eucharist or whatever. But we're forgetting that uh, if the parents don't go to Sunday Eucharist week in and week out, then the kids are going to be fed the truth, but not the practice. And then it's going to force them in almost 99 times out of 100, it is going to be they'll reject the truth because the practice doesn't match up, right? Like parents don't take this seriously. So if you're telling me this really is God himself that I'm eating and drinking his body and blood, and yet my parents don't find it to be a thing that troubles them to attend – uh, you know, in the slightest, you know, football game can distract him from coming to mass. Then, and it's, so it's it's rooted in that in that praxis. But all we do is focus on catechesis, right? We focus on, and this is part of evangelization. But it's like we need to step up into that level of of praxis, right? Of the individual ways and movements, and that's where, in my own life, I see the next step, which is only it, which is always incarnated in community. Right. So um, I go to this local church that has about 250 families and they just put on the plays of William Shakespeare. Um, what did they do? Uh, they just did Macbeth. So they had the students, right, train, do all this stuff, and they put on Macbeth. And it's amazing, number one, to watch the entire play and have these middle schoolers and high schoolers memorize all the lines and, and just deliver it. But then the other thing is like the priest is intentionally building culture. Right, this is the culture. This is what we do. We support one another. We do we do the great things of our tradition. We we have like they do tons of arts, right? They have an artist in the thing who's a teacher, an art teacher, and they do sacred music, sacred art with kids, with little kids, because this is a part of our this is who we are. This is our identity. This is part of our praxis. There's a place for creative people. And that's when I when I look at my um my own work, I'm like, oh, this is this is totally what I've been Lacking. I didn't see this before. Yeah, we've got we've got a section on Catholic Store, which is just like Catholic literature, and we're we've been kind of diehard about keeping it there, even though it's not one of our heavily trafficked sections. A lot of people don't buy those books, but it's like every great Catholic who throughout history who's written something wonderful, we've tried to put them in there. You know, so it's like the people who have built culture, people from like George Bernanos who wrote Diary of a Country Priest to like Evelyn Waugh to Evelyn Waugh, sorry, to um, uh, uh, Graham Greene, you know, like just like these great novelists, these great people. Like we, we even have, we have Shakespeare in there. Jury's out. Maybe he's Catholic. Maybe he's not, you know, we can get into that debate. <laughs> That's the rumor. <laughs> so, uh, um, but because building culture is so important, you know, it's so important. I think, it's like what you're talking about with catechesis and in, in, in educating over time. It's like um, there, I think knowledge as it, like the tree of knowledge in the fall is, 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 is more an orientation of like how we come about, like there's knowledge versus wisdom yeah. and, and knowledge is this like facts that we can hold, that we can, uh, that we can contain and therefore we subordinate the facts under us. And so many people treat their faith that way. Like, I'm going to learn the facts, 
I'm going to memorize them. This is the practice. This is what I do. Um, even if they're not good at the practice, they feel like they have some dominance over God or some dominance over like some sort of control. And, um, and, but then there's wisdom that comes through this liturgical experience of community, of worship, of, of repetitive practice. It's like muscle memory. It's like, it's almost like activating, like, a it activates like, a a, um, uh, instinct, you know, like, that, that we have from the create, like from the, our father that is like, this is who I am and this is how you live. And in the Catholic church has the patterns that bring us into that instinctual relationship. So that like in the same way that birds know how to fly South humans know how to like live and worship. Um, but if you don't do that, if it's just a practice of learning knowledge, like you're missing it, you're not going to be brought into this deeper experience. And so like, Catholic culture, Catholic community, Catholic experience, all of these things are so important. Gomer, you had said that you were fascinated by the Eucharistic Congress before you opened up the, um, the conversation about practice and truth. That's, I'm wondering what the connect, connection point between those two things is. Okay, were. yeah, the Eucharistic revival, it fascinates revival. me because um, I feel like for the first time the institutional church was shocked by the level of disbelief that I have been telling people, like everyone, all the stats have borne witness for the last 50, 40, 50 years of the massive hem. Like people don't take the massive hemorrhage of the church seriously because as we just consolidate parishes, we make them smaller in order to make the individual uh, attendance bigger, right? So we, we, you know, Pittsburgh Diocese went from 240 to, to like 50 churches, something like that. And, you know, they lost almost 200 churches in order to consolidate down so that they can have big enough churches. We've, we've deceived ourselves with immigration that we're a vibrant church. Um, especially those of us here in the South, we're like, no, look, look at all these families, look at all these people. And then you don't realize like, um, just the, the sheer level of, of apostasy that's happening across the board. I mean, it is mass apostasy. And to me, what was fascinating was by having, you know, Bishop cousins give his address on, on, the Eucharistic revival and the Pew research thing kind of triggered it. It's like, uh, and, uh, uh, the awakening of a slumbering giant, like, Oh crap, we need to take this seriously. But what it did was it gave me a permission as a parish employee. This is the fascinating part to finally get clergy at every level to realize what we've been doing is horribly wrong, right? Horribly wrong. Because if we keep doing this, it'll go from 70% to 80% to 90% to you don't have a job anymore, right? You, there is no priest retirement fund because no one's going to put a penny into the DSF. Like, we really need to take this seriously, even in the crudest of self-interest, right? Like, everything. And so if, it was fascinating to me because, one, I have a limited vocabulary, vocabulary and I use the word fascinating for everything. But um, that it gave my, me permission and all of a sudden you see priests and dioceses scrambling to be like, okay, uh, we're going to do conferences on evangelization for our priests. Like, what is evangelization? How do we evangelize? Like, you know, and the first thing I say to priests is, do you have a good prayer life? If not, all of these workshops are stupid, right? And they don't, they didn't get that. And now I think that for many of your people who feel burned out, but they can't leave because it's their vocation kind of thing. I think they're like, Oh, okay. I need to commit to this, some sort of renewal here. And it's an excuse for me to shove my tradiism and down people's throats. 
communion plates for everyone under your face for everyone yeah so love it so you need to make catholic creative communion patents right that's a good idea we should we should have somebody do that we can sell them on catholic.store yeah and just in latin have uh lest a single crumb fall to the ground right yeah we uh we just moved out to the country um like like middle middle of nowhere but it's also like the best place and we were pretty scared about the move and we're so happy since we've come here because the community is great people are wonderful um but my son had a great he really loved latin he loved learning latin at his school he was going to a great school in denver our lady of lords it's a classic nice denver yeah no i know it very well i have my buddy goes there and uh goes to the chesterton school and my uh the two youth ministers that i hired sammy and pj pierce used to teach there yeah. Yeah. So Ralph loved it. He, I mean, he, and he loved, like he had an aptitude for Latin. He loved learning Latin. And we're like, well, what are we going to do? Well, there's this lady at our church, Miss Murphy, never married. She was a Catholic school teacher. She taught Latin and she's, she's just turned 90, I believe. And she's, she's awesome. Every, everything about her is amazing. She gives the priest a hard time, but she does it with like real love. Yeah. And, uh, Anyway, we found out that she was a Latin teacher, and so she's she's agreed to start teaching Ralph. That's which awesome. We're excited about yeah yeah yeah. One day I walked home. My daughter was uh, in first grade. My oldest daughter, and I walked in and I said, "Hey, honey, what are you working on?" And she goes, "Oh, I'm practicing cursive." And I go, "What are you writing?" And she goes, "The Sanctus in Latin." And I was like. <laughs> None of these things happen at public school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Where I got, where, when I got, I got really excited. I came downstairs and I said, uh, hey, Ralph, how's it going? It was like in the morning, like a, a year ago. He was probably like six or five, whatever. And I go, how's it going? And he goes, mm, some bene. And he looks at me and he goes, Komodo te habes. Like, I'm good. How are you doing? I was like, what? Yeah. Yeah, I bribed all my kids. I said uh, it was Wednesday, and I said, "Daddy's going on a trip on Thursday. I'll be back Friday night." When I come back, uh, everyone is to say the Paternoster in Latin, and but from start to finish by yourself. And if you do, we all go out and get ice cream sundays. And the only one that couldn't do it was my wife, but she has a dairy <laughs> allergy, so that's fine. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's so funny because like there's these these levels of beauty and, and giftedness that we have in the church that. Um, sometimes are, are being overlooked, like the elderly are not, uh, they're not being tapped into as the resources that they could be, um, because it's so easy to like chop up our communities and like, oh, you have this subgroup and this subgroup. And it's all like, you know, you have authentic Christian community when the elderly and the very young are not forgotten. Right. I mean, I don't like old people, but there's a smell, you know, you can't get past it. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so what's new? What's next for Catholic creatives? Yeah, well, Catholic Creatives, Catholic Creatives is uh, we're just kind of discerning this opportunity with the revival, having good conversations. You know, um, if there's anybody who's interested in um, being a, you know, being a, a Eucharistic missionary for the arts, for lack of a better way of saying it, we'll come up with a better name for it. But then they go to our website, reach out to us. We'd love to talk to you. Um, and then for Catholic Ventures. Um, there's, there's a lot that's happening. We've, we've just launched the lion and lamb book club for kids, which we're pretty jazzed about. Um, right over there. There's sweet. the books. Oh yeah. I love it. I love it. Um, we've got before, before the end of the first day, my kids had read all of them. 
<laughs> Are you serious? Did yeah, like, my, my, my one daughter, Cecilia, is a voracious reader. And yeah. so I was like, what is this? Because Luke handled all the original communication with you guys, right? And so yeah. then I got it in the mail, and I'm like, what the heck is this? And I was like, did I subscribe to something I didn't realize? I was like, this has to be an ad. This has to be something. And it was funny because you guys have been talking with both Ascension and uh, and Luke at Catching Fox. Luke just neglected to tell me. I mean, it's fine. I'm only half of the show. And uh, – and uh, so they're both like, well, it's something that we're working on. And I was like, well, I got the books right here. And I look over and I was like, oh, maybe it's something I can need to send back or whatever. Cecilia's ripped the box open and she's just sitting there and she's already making her way through one of the books. And uh, and it's so funny. She's my girl who will, if there's a book on on the stairs, like to go, meant to be put away upstairs, she'll stop, pick it up, and she'll squat down on the stairs and read the whole thing and then take it upstairs. That's awesome. It's a little OCD. It's fine. Everything's fine. But so, uh, so your kids like the box? Oh, yeah. They read everything. Like I said, every single one of them. That's awesome. We owned the comic book. I can't remember which comic book it was. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we already had that one. Um, yeah. But the rest were, were new to us, I think. And so they, they plowed yeah. through them. Yeah. yeah. Well, on anything, on future boxes, anything you get that you already own, you can send back to us for a refund. So that's the, that's the promise we make with the subscription because it's hard – it's hard to to pick books where you're gonna make sure that every book you're sending is is new, you know, or oh, people totally. don't have, you know, totally. But yeah, and, and it is funny because I think you guys have done such a great job cultivating the bookstore because, and I say this because I'm a selfish nerd, I own almost all of the children's books because they're so, and and I'm not just saying this because you guys are on the show, they are the most beautiful. Like we are in an, in the perfect era to be a Catholic parent. They're they're exquisitely illustrated. They're beautifully written. Like that's the thing. Like the the big green book. What is it? The um, Saint story. The stories of the saints. Yeah, stories of the saints. That one's so cool. The art in there is just awesome. Yeah, I mean, it looks like the freaking Lord of the Rings on the cover. Yeah, right. Yeah. And it it looks like uh, what Radagast I imagine would look like. Yeah, all totally. This, like, green yeah. stuff growing. Everywhere. I think it's Saint Francis on the cover, but they've imagined Saint Francis as Radagast, basically. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And it's so it's beautiful right it is beautifully done and so um my kids um immediately right like that's their thing and now because i bought so many saint books my daughters uh especially my oldest kateri she's like the queen of the saints and she had okay that's a marian title yeah. uh but she, <laughs> queen of saint trivia so she'll literally she has these like little saint flash cards and she'll be like who's this saint St. Philomena, dad. Who's this saint? St. Bridget of Sweden, dad. Gosh, who's this saint? <laughs> and she goes through them, and she can just rattle off these stories. She is in love with um, Maria Goretti and, uh, and her saint story. And I'm like, well, if I'm going to have a 12-year-old daughter, I, that, that'd be the one I'd want you to <laughs> be in love with. But parents, like, we are, we are so privileged to live in this time with these, these books. They're incredible. Gilbert, why do you think that um... – I guess this is an experience that I had growing up, too, as a kid. I mean, I remember having two comic books of saints. One was a St. Francis comic book. Um, I think one was a John Bosco comic book. And those got in my blood. I just loved them. Um, But that was it. You know, pretty much everything else that I had uh, that was, like, Catholic was, like, as kitschy as, like, you could imagine. And it was just boring. And uh, I remember just being, like, very... I'm not consciously impacted by that, but it definitely sets a tone, you know? Um, and I'm wondering why do you think there has been such an explosion of like really good, beautiful stuff 
in our generation. Yeah, I would say the mainstreaming of what was previously regarded as childish forms of entertainment, video games, comic books, graphic novels, things like that, the explosion of these things, their popularity sustaining past the age of 12, 13, or, you know, 14, right? The high school years are so formative for, like, comic book collect. Because when I, when, I, when I was a freshman in high school, that's when I stopped collecting comic books. Because it was a kid thing, right? And, but the, the kind of, like, the generation behind me, for anyone who is a DC or Marvel nerd or whatever, or an Image Comics or whatever it might be, they started collecting, and it became cool in their little subgroups to have these comics and to talk comic books. So it's like when I do a Zoomville youth conference with father Mike Schmitz, we sat down and for literally three hours, me, him and Bobby angel debated Batman storylines, <laughs> you know, and like all this stuff. I mean, we talked about it for, for literally for almost three straight hours over beer, but almost three straight hours. And, um, I realized like, Oh, this stuff is now mainstream. Like, there's an acceptance of it for people younger than me, just slightly younger than me, that now it's, it's a shaped they're like they're going to college for creative design and art and graphic design and all that stuff, that they're bringing these influences and, and to bear on their Catholic faith. And it's honestly because of people like y'all who are willing then to, to put, the, put the money up, right? And so um, illustrators like, oh, gosh, I'm going to blank on her name. Oh shoot, she's out here uh here in Houston. She does a lot of like modern icon. Are you thinking of Trisha? Yes, Trisha. Yeah. Like her work is uniquely hers. Like I it's like icons uh, in in her own style and I love the way that she does. I just love her art form and it's like 20 years ago, I don't know if people would have been as excited about this stuff as they mm -hmm. are now because yeah. it looks better than the stuff you see in the world. Right, yeah, all these the, for the listeners, Trisha's with Providential Co. Providential.co, yeah. Yeah, yeah. She's great. Yeah. She yeah, she's incredible. She came to my church at a at some event that we were doing and she was selling her wares and she walked by and she's like, Are you Gomer? I was like, Yes. And she's like, I'm a big Catchy Foxes fan. It's like, Yes. And so uh, we were we were running this event, me and my wife were hosting like the middle schoolers, and she's like, Here's what my son I had to bring with him. I was like, Send him upstairs. Let him hang out with the other middle schoolers. But all of her stuff, I always buy her stuff. I go on her website and buy it. And uh, now you can do it through Catholic.store. It's beautiful. Yep, she is, she's one of our partners. She's great. Yeah. 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 yeah, I think it's interesting. You know, I think like um, the church, the church was once that repository of these rich storylines, these great, um, like, uh, for lack of a better word, like you hear about the Marvel universe where you have like the saint universe, you have the Catholic universe, you have all these intersecting storylines that like is, is real. Like that is the, is the true fabric of our faith. And it inspired all of this great art. And then as the world kind of said, well, we want a different vision from the church and started to push the church down and, and the church kind of accepted that, unfortunately, and didn't, you know, and then started trying to, you know, doing art in the ways of the world. Um, you still have this hunger for people, for this rich history, for these rich storylines, for these things. And they're so present in comics. They're so present in video games. They're, I mean, you, you think like, so I used to work in the entertainment industry and it's like when they go to create a, a new video game and the amount of thought that goes into the art direction of that and the amount of thought that goes into like 
creating this rich history. I'm good friends, not good friends. I'm friends with a guy in Vancouver named Wilson Tang, who was the art director for Ang Lee's The Hulk. And then he's worked on a lot of big video games. But he's the guy, like, his, he's the brain that comes up with universes. And, like, um, it's amazing to just, like, I've had drinks with him a couple of times to hear from his perspective, like, how he creates a world in his head, you know? And so, like, people love this stuff. Like, they, they love it. And when I worked at Warner Brothers, I had this picture of Padre Pio on my desk. And um, people would stop in my office and assume he was a Jedi. Like, that's their cultural context. Like, oh, you're a Star Wars fan. That's cool. Um, you know, and um, uh, I think it's so important for us. Like, we have all of that in the church. We have all of that. And, not, and it's not lame. It's cool. And we shouldn't shy away from, like, the crazy stuff that happened to people and the, you know, the like real sanctity and the real struggles and the, and like, and anytime we find authors or artists that are portraying that the right way where they're not, they're not holding back and they're doing it with, with, you know, new beautiful art and trying to adapt in new ways to communicate that. Like we're, that's, that's what we're about. We want to, we want to bring that to people. I think what you said, Gomer, uh, before about the the difference between um, like the focus on delivering truth and the like separation between that and practice is also a, a big part of what I see as uh, like difference in generations. That I grew up in a in a world um, where you know my dad was a theologian, and so we just had apologetics kind of uh, experts coming through the house all the time. And every dinner conversation was in some way, either like in some way, both politically and, and intellectually stimulated towards the truth and towards the, the communication and defense of the church's truths. Um, but one of the things that I think is really interesting about, I think how our generation is approaching faith is that I think we're a lot more focused on building our own culture of Catholicism in our homes. And that, like there's some sort of thirst for how do we ex how do we create the domestic church in our families in a more profound way? And I, I don't I maybe that's the JP two kind of like theology, the body awareness that's been brought into our um, worldview and into our Catholicism. But it seems like there is a turn from being less defensive about the faith and more like, I guess, uh, having this higher taste of the culture of the, the church and wanting to cultivate that in our own homes. It's created a different way of like buying things, you know, uh, before you would never, ever expect somebody to buy a $200 rosary from a maker, you know, uh, what, I mean, that just was not a thing, but now that's a thing. Like, you know, people are making money by making $200 like handmade rosaries and putting them on Instagram. And I think that shows, a big difference in the way that we're thinking about our faith and what we're willing to put into it. I think yeah. also if, if I could be so bold as to say the explosion of beautiful art and, and writing is it, one could be a part of the crisis, right? The crisis of the church today that those who are left living their faith must do so boldly if they're going to survive in their faith at all. And when it's cultural Catholicism, especially in the eclipsing years, the waning years, um, it can become this thing that you want to hide because it's no longer the popular thing. Or it's no longer the end thing. It's no longer the civilization building thing. 
in fact, it, it's viewed with suspicion, if not resentment, right? Um, our, our religious experiences and, and, and claims. And so you have this eclipse of beauty with banality, right? And you have the church no longer is a sponsor or patron of the arts and instead is um, the, the, the other kind of darker side of it is people who are not very talented or somewhat talented but not very talented won the day. And it's all this goofy clip art crap that has been peddled from uh, your local diocesan, you know, whatever, newspaper to the Vatican even today. And you see these things that are coming out and you're like, this is obviously not the fruit of someone's um, intense longing. Like Michelangelo, when you read about his faith, like he was an intense reformer of the church. His and, and it was poured into his artwork. I mean, he had a profound understanding of salvation history to paint what he painted on the Sistine Chapel. And it wasn't easy, right? It wasn't easy what he did. What he did was truly creative. He played with symbols and communicated layers and layers of truth and beauty and goodness, right? But today it's like um, there, there are elements where it was just so on the nose, right? Jesus loves the little children. Look, here's a bunch of little children. They're all holding hands and they are multicultural enough to get published in the United States, right? Like, <laughs> right? You know what I'm talking about? All these little Catholic children's yeah. books, right? And um, there was nothing that was, that was, number one, there was nothing daring or bold about it. There was it was all safe and it was kitsch and it was um, and it was not creative, right? It was not creative. There was nothing that was that was drawing on the great impulses of our time. This is where the the church and the world can, you know, um, mutually enrich one another, right? What happens is instead of drawing on these great advances in art and art and, and um, artistic expression the church just kind of insulated itself with safety, right? And banality, like, hey, here's a new thing. Here's this, here's that. But um, its preoccupation with beauty completely collapsed. And I think right now we're seeing people who are, who are ticked off in, by being in ugly churches. They're ticked off with um, the lack of kick-ass comic books, right? Or whatever it might be. And, uh, and they're wondering why... The people who have the worst motivations are those who spend, who care the most about beauty, right? Or, or something creative. And now I think we're getting this impulse of, and the bubbling up because of people like you building Catholic creatives. I mean, that's how I met, um, uh, oh gosh, now I'm blanking on her name. This is embarrassing. Uh, was it Garza from? Yeah, Huh? What's her first name? Fabiola. Fabiola. Good Lord. I'm like, Amelia. No, Amelia. No, Amelia. No. Yeah. <laughs> Fabiola Garza. And like, I immediately went out and bought all of her Disney books that she helped illustrate. Like she did Coco, the golden book, you know, and my kids are older. They don't read golden books. So I'm like, I'm buying that just to support her. And I got the Pope who would be, or the boy who would be Pope and like all the things that she does because I just, I want to support her. I think she's incredible. And I only encountered her on the blog on, on Catholic creatives. Right. So this stuff begins to bubble up because of things touch points that you guys are creating yeah yeah, yeah i think uh, oh, Anthony, go ahead. yeah i think that um the one of the things that i was seeing as i was working on this problem you know i like devoted my uh, a lot of my life to it in my adult life and i think that um there's a big economic problem right it wasn't that we didn't have talented artists that cared a lot it was that those talented artists couldn't 
make enough of a living making that art to to make it you know because like really good art is costly right and so the if the taste of the market of the church in a way is so low that it's accepting the the kitschy stuff that's made in china and like has no heart to it then like you know they don't have a job right there's nothing for them to do um and one of the things that i'm really excited about and why i loved the the prospect of like a unite a united front between like catholic creatives as this you know very nonprofit movement and this you know catholic ventures and particularly catholic.store was that it was the marriage of the you know the movement and the ideals of catholic creatives of beauty with an actual vehicle for like bringing out all of those things to a a group of people that could buy you know, the art. And um, I think one of the big things that I'm uh, like, that I'm just so excited about that I see now is that as people like Matt um, are doing the companies that they're doing, um, all of the other publishers are seeing, oh, yeah, like, this stuff actually has a monetary kind of potential, you know, for sustainability to invest a lot of money up front in really good illustrations for this book because people are going to buy it. It's not like nobody cares about that. They just want another thing with like, hey, you should appreciate the Eucharist because this saint did, you know? Um, so I think <laughs> yeah. that, uh, yeah, there's just a lot of a lot of unity that Matt, in the first summit, Matt gave a talk that was kind of like, hey, um, giving a, a perhaps a roadmap for Catholic creatives. One of those things that he talked about was that like a renaissance requires the the medicis the priests and the artists all to be in community with each other and um catholic creatives was able to really build that that community among the artists but that is still impotent if it's not linked in really directly with the ministry branch of the church and the uh the business and entrepreneurial branch uh, and power of the church. So that's what I'm really excited about with this kind of new era and season. And I, and I think I witnessed for so long, I, the reason I, like, I started this, I started Catholic.store, Catholic Ventures, Catholic.store, right at the beginning of the pandemic. I quit my job, you know, just had a baby. Worst time to do this. <laughs> and um, the, uh, but my wife was amazing. And she was like, Matt, it's your dream. You got to do it. And um, it's uh but it was largely born out of the fact that like the church wasn't doing it. Like I tried, I tried to give this away to others. I tried to give it to the archdiocese when I worked there. I tried to give it to different apostolates that I worked for. I tried to give it away in, in like, and in in not only did they not receive it, they wanted it, but they wanted it for their own purposes, not for the church. And so, um, so I knew that, that this had to be something that we would do. And it's really bearing fruit. As Anthony was saying, it's like, you know, I, I have a few skills, not a lot. I, I can help build audiences and I can, I, I, I know how to bring people together to solve problems, you know? So like, we're good at technology. We're good at reaching people. Um, and, uh, and if I can be that arm for these artists, we might, and, and part of the problem I was seeing was like the Medici's, quote unquote, the Medici's of our age are not giving to this. The Medici's of our age are giving to ideolo solving philosophical and ideological problems within the church in control. That's what they want. They're, they're giving to 
organization A or organization B that gives them more influence with the bishops, or they're giving to organization C that allows them to influence the news media, or they're giving to this political cause. That's who the Medicis are giving to. They're not giving to art. They're not giving to the thing that changes hearts and souls. And so, yeah, they're not so, giving to culture. They're not giving to culture. culture. No, and they, they might say they are, they might support one person mm-hmm. that, that is part of their limited world. Yeah. But they're they're not they they're, they're so disconnected from the real culture, yeah. and um, and so uh, they're not finding their Michelangelos. And so I knew it was kind of like a, well, we're just going to have to build this thing from the ground up. We're going to build a store, and people are going to buy things, and that's going to kick back to the artists yeah. and the, like the Catholic culture that is exists, the latent culture in the domestic church is going to bring all of these people to the forefront. And it's been it's been amazing within I mean we've been around for under two years and we're already being told by major Catholic publishers that we're like one of their biggest sales channels, you know. Good. And and, and, Good. and like and we're connecting big publishers with people who are self publishing. You know, yeah. we're we're connecting these these pieces of the puzzle and um and so 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 we're starting to see the fruits of this concept, you know, like if if the big publishers wake up then, you know, then the secular publishers wake up, we can start to build, you know, just yeah. build it up the chain. So, yeah, it's so awesome. And you guys are I, building an audience is the hardest thing, right? And when you have your audience, it, it's so hard. You got to keep cultivating it and keep cold. It's, it's like, uh, it's like the good Lord, right? His creative power is the same as his sustaining power, right? It, it takes an all powerful God to keep creation in creation, right? And to do this in, in imitation of our Lord, right? Like the building of, of a community, you can't just do that once and then step away, right? It's because then communities will always fall apart into infighting and all this stuff. And it's like, what what are the things that keep us, keep us to get uh, connected together? You know, obviously you can't have a thriving community without truth, beauty, and goodness, which is ultimately all three met in Christ Jesus. I, I think one of the, the other big problems of the past, like you're, you're right, Anthony, and just the very practicals of good artists couldn't monetize Catholic art before, and the internet um, democratizes access to these people. But you still need curators, you still need cultivation, you still need, hey, there's 5,000 Etsy stores that maybe you could get something. But he, we bought a bunch of satanic rosaries from people who claim to be devout Catholics on, on Etsy, right? Wow. So they make these rosaries, and they have... Um, uh, pentagrams etched in really small in different beads, right? Are you and then serious? they'll have oh yeah. And then around the cross where you have the corpus of Christ, there's a snake winding up. And each of the um cross ends is in the outer shape of a pentagram. And they'll have it very faded, very light. And these are like plastic cheap rosaries, but they have a mold made and they do this and they curse them and then they sell them in super cheap bundles. And so we bought a bunch for our confirmation students. And then our pastor, our parochial vicar was like, hey, these, uh, I, I, this is a satanic rosary. And we're like, what the heck is a satanic rosary? And it's like a fake rosary no that they sell way. the kids. Yeah, that are, they're all cursed objects and stuff. We had to burn like 200 rosaries. That's awkward. And uh, I heard about um, that with like an icon company too that does that. And they, there was like an Instagram video where they burned the icons because they curse the icons as they make them. 
And then when they burned it, it was wild to watch. It just like the flames went from like normal burning flames and they threw it in and it just was like, like <laughs> this crazy thing. Yeah. Yeah. You had uh, like the ride of the Valkyries playing in the background <laughs> with Wagner. Exactly. <laughs> ah! <laughs> what is happening? So, but it's wild, but it's like, you know, Trish is not going to do that. <laughs> you know, no, like, this is not going to do that. No. You're right. You're going to have something yeah. beautiful and something amazing yeah. from yeah. people who care. Uh, a buddy of mine was in Rome, and they're touring one of the the artistic uh, or the um, sculpting uh, studios, and the guy is finishing uh, a Saint Joseph statue. And he said, you know, what's your prayer life like as you're making the statue? And the guy starts laughing. He goes, I, not nothing. I'm an atheist. And he's like, why are you working here? And he's like, it's art like this is what i do i'm a sculptor like oh, oh I don't, whatever doesn't bother me and i just remember hearing that and just being so sad right so sad but to see this the fruit of it to see people who are able to work like i think of catching foxes catching foxes could be so incredible if it was my full-time job right that my patreon supporters would feel so loved instead of neglected uh if this was my full-time job but not only do i do my full-time parish stuff but then i travel and i gotta do all that stuff with it and i just think like we are in, you guys are enabling people who otherwise this would never exist to bring into being something that they love like the story of a saint or the story of you know whatever and then i'm seeing this your influence reverberating throughout where now all of a sudden these traditional Catholic publishers who got away with the shittiest book covers and the ugliest looking oh, things so bad. ever so bad. So yeah. bad, uh, are now making beautiful things yeah. and making they're, they're, they're like, well, you know, we can't compete with this. We better, we better level it up. And so that's making Catholic art, right? Like this is the thing that people don't see. It's like now everyone has to level up. Now the rising tide is lifting all the boats, right? Yeah. That's awesome. That's when competition is a beautiful thing, right? Well, yeah, exactly. And the cool thing too is like, you know, like seeing that beautiful both and that is Catholicism and the businesses of the different people we work with, you know, like their visions, you know, it's like, uh, like my say my hero. That's one of the, they make bracelets, blessing bracelets, necklaces, beautiful jewelry, but all of, all of their products are made like, they, they've gone into local communities, wh- whether it be in Medjugorje or Mexico or wherever they go to source their materials. Yeah. And then they, they help lift up the communities. So they're yeah. going in there and their weavers are people that they're lifting up and they're working with. And they're using it as, an, as a mechanism to evangelize those people. And they're helping the community be better. It's like the social good for profit concept is alive and well in all of the companies that we're working with are like rooted for good. Rooted for Good is they're Catholic missionaries. They're a missionary family. And the wife was a cosmetologist. And she was like, Catholic missionaries can't afford skincare products. Like, for, it's impossible. And so she came up with a skincare company. But then they give 10% off the top, not off the bottom. 10% off the top back to missionary work. So it's like these – it's, it's just – it's everybody we work with, it's inspiring. You meet these people. And they're like – they're like, yeah, we want to make money. We want to take care of our families, but we also want to take care of the world. Like we want to we want to spread the faith. We want to help people. And it's so different than going through Etsy where you find satanic rosaries or going through Amazon, <laughs> going yeah. through Amazon where, where a, like you're ultimately supporting like what is our a modern day supervillain, which is really cool in one sense. Like I'm glad <laughs> we live in a time that there's a supervillain, but also like we should probably pull back on the support of the supervillain. Yeah. 
and give to the people that are helping local communities and things like that. So. Yeah, this guy's going to space with a penis-shaped rocket. Something's yeah. wrong here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he moved to D.C. He bought the Washington Post. He's attaché to the uh, CIA. Like, go down the list of all the moves he's made. Yeah. It's very interesting. Amazon. Penis-shaped rocket being the cherry on top. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, pun intended. That's a double entendre I can accept. <laughs> so big things that let, – let's let's wrap up this conversation by yeah. talking about some big things that we want to point people to. So number one is the new Lion and Lamb box, right? So it's a subscription box. You get um, – let me just read this real quick. I love this. Pulling from timeless literary classics, undiscovered treasures, and new Catholic releases. So you're getting four books in the box. All my kids ripped into the stickers. The stickers are cool looking. I actually have, let me show you this. Oh, I don't know if I can. Oh, I can. Here we go. Do, do, do. Right there. Got the uh, the lamb sticker on my laptop covering the Apple logo. Nice. Um, Yeah. And uh, the stickers are beautiful. Um, They're fun. Like everything about this is like so well done that it, it just makes my chubby little heart happy. So uh, what can people do if they want access to this Lion and Lamb book club for their kids? Yeah, so they can go to lionandlamb.club or catholic.store, and it, right at the top of catholic.store, you'll, you'll be able to access the book club. I love that. Safeguarding innocence, forming faith. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> I'm going to get a local drag queen to read this to our public school kids. It's going to be beautiful. It's very contradictory. No, I'm just Maybe kidding. it'll evangelize the drag queen. Yeah. Wait, yeah. Did, what did St. Chiara do? This is awesome. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm taking off my wig right now. All right, sorry. <laughs> I'll cut that. Uh, whoopsie. What were you saying, Anthony? That was probably insightful and not a disaster. <laughs> it's bold, man. It's bold. It is bold. Um, I uh, no. I was just saying. One of the things that I love about it is that um, this is curated really seasonally. So there's there. I think it is very hard to figure out how to build liturgical living into your daily lives, um, it takes a lot of effort to think through how to do that creatively. And I think that with bedtime, you have this amazing intimate moment with your kids, but it's the end of the day and you just want them to go to bed usually. And <laughs> the like amount of energy you have to really think through, I'm going to pick this book for this season to really help them think about this one virtue, you know, and we're going to have this kind of conversation with them about it. That's, that's hard. That's a lot of work. Like we read through, uh, hundreds, literally hundreds of books. Maybe some of them are really, really good. Uh, but we only pick the ones that actually create this total sort of box experience that say, this is the kind of thing that for this season, you know, we're focusing on helping you talk to your kids about. And uh, I think that that is a really powerful part of the book and uh, the book club and why I think it's really valuable. Yeah. I love it because I'm a big fan of the the read aloud manifesto. Have you ever heard of that? Mm hmm. Yeah, so the Read Aloud Manifesto is a book I got. It's all part of our little classical education books. And another one's called Honey for the Child's Heart. And it's all about the centrality of reading and uh, how reading affects people and how reading aloud is one of the most important formative things you can do for your kids. And you realize that like religious groups that specialize in, they're not specialized, but a big part of their tradition is reading scripture to their children, right? Like Orthodox Jews and, and, um, uh, evangelical Protestants who read Bible stories and stuff like that, like just the act of reading aloud to your young children 
radically increases the, their vocabulary, like the amount of words that they have. Um, so you're talking about things that allow them to articulate things at a six-year-old level for a three-year-old. Like, it's shocking the amount of advances that it does. And it can happen at any level. So if you've got a, an, an eighth grader who's reading at a fifth-grade level and you just start reading aloud level books – they will rapidly advance in their in their cognitive abilities and stuff. So um, it's this whole the, – the book is The Read Aloud Manifesto. I encourage everyone to get edition number seven. It's the best one. It's like up to nine or whatever. But um, – and just the, the fact of you've already curated content that I don't have to worry about, right? Yeah, I know exactly. Every no single woke, thing. No woke books, totally wholesome, like stuff that goes, you know, yeah. like goes back through our tradition. There's a lot of great books that yeah. are – you know, 50 years out of date that haven't been published that we, we are able to find and bring, bring back. You have my favorite version of the Hobbit on Catholic.store, which is the big illustrated version. The, yeah, the green the one. Green the, one. Yeah, yeah, that one's great. It's cool. got to get that wind in the willows. Got to get that illustrated wind in the willows one. It's so awesome. Is Those it? are the books that it. I want my kids to just treasure because they're beautiful. Right now, my oldest kids are in that mode where they're like, mm, I don't want pictures. It's a status to not have books with pictures. And I'm like, if Bishop Barron loves books with pictures, you can love books with pictures. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. It's so great. So um, anything anything else that you guys want to talk about, want to close out this yeah, show? Lion, I mean, Lion, Lion and Lamb, the thing I was going to say is, like, I think we're in the age of the domestic church. We kind of touched on that. But I yeah. think that, like, like – if I were to make any prophetic statement of like our conversation today, it's that like we're in the age of the domestic church and that the, the Holy Spirit's going to unfold exactly the treasure that is the domestic church in the heart of God over, over the coming years. And um, uh, I think that the, the, the moments, the beautiful, one of the most beautiful moments of the domestic church is the times that we spend reading with our children. And so, um, that, you know, laying next to them, being present, diving into a good story, answering questions, you know, so Lion and Lambs is, is meant to just be a resource to help parents do that. And, and so if there are any parents interested in like, or need help in that area or just want good books that they know that their kids are going to love Lion and Lamb. And then the, the final thing I was going to say is Catholic.store, we're coming into you know, like an, throughout the year, we have a lot of sales. We have a lot of things going on, you know, Christmas, Easter. Um, uh, but ultimately, we're presenting great Catholic books and great Catholic art and great Catholic makers and family businesses to other Catholic families. You know, so so if you're looking for, for gifts, if you're looking for nice things, check out Catholic.store. And if you are an artist yourself, check out Catholic Creatives. There's a, a full community of people there to support you and, and help you do what you do. Um, so those are those are my final thoughts. And just to let everyone know, in the uh, Council at Daybreak card game, uh, my face is on Catholic speaker, Catholic celebrity. So uh, <laughs> nice. another incentive. It's another incentive for the good folks. Anthony, little, got anything little, final? Little Easter egg. Little Easter yeah. egg. Yeah, yeah a little cherry on top. <laughs> but no penis rocket. Anthony, follow that one up. <laughs> I, don't, I don't got anything, man. I think I'm good. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Uh, so, yeah, everyone go over to CatholicCreatives.com as well. And uh, they also have the podcast that you can do. Check out. They got a lot of stuff going on in terms of um, just rock solid. Uh, like, I just go through the stuff and I just 
try to steal everything from smart, creative people, and we need to be doing that. Um, I look forward to uh, to Luke emoting over any future events that you guys have. It'll be beautiful. <laughs> I look forward to you emoting over those events. You know, I'm Next so time. pissed I didn't go to the summit in Dallas. I'm so pissed. Luke flew all the way down from Ohio. I didn't drive two and a half hours. Uh, yeah, you're right. You're right. I need to just do it. I need to just do it. I like what Jordan Peterson said. He had this line where he was talking about personalities, right? He has this whole personality thing. And he said, if you have trait openness, you are generally going to be a liberal, right? Because you're more open to ideas. You're less, you're more flexible with things like moral rules and whatnot. But, um, but the thing that is so fascinating is how a community without creativity doesn't offer a place for a lot of people with these trait, this trait openness, right? And so this is a way for also getting people who love their Catholic faith a, a place to fit in that otherwise they don't because a lot of people, you know, you're conscientious, you're, you're stable, and then you, you have someone who's a creative and it's like, I don't know what to do with these people, please leave, right? So uh, <laughs> you guys made a home for them and you're still doing that. And uh, just God bless everything that you guys are doing. I think it's awesome. Yeah, thank you so much for having us on. 